Okay, let's get real. Who has a hard time choosing the best option? And I'm, I'm pretty guilty at that. I need time to research, compare, analyze, then I can come to the right choice and decision. Who's there, who's there with me? Yeah, compare, analyze, research, I need to know. I need to know information. But you, I mean, you can't do that when you're choosing which is the best breakfast option at Stacks. You just can't do it. Because, why? Well, are you gonna go savory? Are you gonna go sweet? Are you gonna go spicy? Piquant? It's a word that I Googled. It's real, if you wanna check me on that. And if you're like me, you end up making this panic-induced decision and you have to deal with the tasty ramifications of what you picked. That's just the name of the game. But we live in a world where there's a variety of options. We have to sift through the good options, the best options, and the better options. Amen? I don't know why I had you amen to that, but... <laughs> Choose, choosing the better option, is, it, it can be difficult. Especially when, when you're down to the wire. It's the last, last second. You have to choose now. Do it now. Three, two, one. Do it, right? The last, down to the wire. It's always the hardest to pick what is going to be the best option. What is the better option? Some of, this, some of these questions might resonate for you seniors going off to college. Will the school I'm attending next fall, is that going to be the right choice? Is that the best decision I'm going to make? Where I choose to work, is that, going to, is that the best place I, I'd like to work? How about the group you're attaching yourselves to? Is this group of people the best option, the best influence for myself to be attached and associate myself with them? I mean, we can ask ourselves all these questions about what is a good option, what is the best option, and what is the better option. But I think we've all heard the best option for us. The best option for us, we've, we've heard proclaimed, is a better option. It's the better choice. It's a decision that we know that we can have confidence and trust, knowing that we've made the best decision. And that's Christ. He is supreme. He is better. He is the best. He is perfect. He's preeminent. Christ. As believers, we have full confidence, full confidence that Jesus' sacrifice is completely sufficient. Here's what I mean by that. See, Christ's sacrifice is the best thing that has happened to us. As individuals, as a ministry, as a church, as humanity. See, what Jesus did on the cross completely removes what has been previously put in place and secures total forgiveness for us all. That is, the Bible points to the, to son, to the son of God and God's ultimate promise for humanity. And this is what the, the author of Hebrews is getting at in chapter 10. 
So what I'd like for you to do is go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. But before jumping in, as you guys are getting yourself situated there on your devices or your actual physical Bible, I think you guys must be thinking at this point, I have to just say it, all right, we get it. Jesus is better. We get it. You guys stand up here and you tell us that Christ is better, he's supreme, you know, whatever. Okay, we get it. We get he's he's the best. We understand that. But here, I'm standing up here again because I'm going to tell you that again. Jesus is better. And I hope you guys don't get tired of that. I hope you don't come in here on Wednesday nights and listen to Pastor Rod preach on Hebrews or go off, if you're going to college, go to another church where they're maybe going to start preaching in Hebrew. He goes, this again? We're going to talk about Christ? I already know about, enough about Christ. Do you? Are you constantly reminding yourselves every single day of what Christ did for you on the cross and that ultimate sacrifice he did for you, he did for us. See, hearing about Christ's supremacy just once, twice, a hundred times, a thousand times won't ever be enough. It's not going to be enough. So you may think you've heard enough. This series alone will never be enough. You know that famous musical? Never, never. Never enough. I did that for Pastor Rod because I know that he would have stood up here and he would have sang it to you guys and it would sound like 10 times better than what I just did. So hearing how much better Christ is doesn't stop with this series, guys. And that's the point I want to push is it doesn't stop the moment we come to Hebrews chapter 13 and we close the, we close the Bible, that's it. Okay, peace. See, it must continue. In fact, we're in the Old Testament in DBR now. If you're following CBC's plan, you're in the Old Testament. And there's plenty there where you're like, okay, we're doing a, we're doing a series on Hebrews. We're going to talk about Christ and how Jesus is better again. But trust me, everything you're reading in the Old Testament now is definitely pointing to Christ. See, Christ is better. He is supreme he is perfect. All right, let's finally read what the author of Hebrews needs to say or says about this stuff. And I'm going to stop blabbering. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, and that says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we will have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
continues in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ's ultimate sacrifice is once for all. It is utterly and completely a finished work. It is done to telestai in the Greek. The author of Hebrew has been ramping up to this point from chapters 1 to 9. He's, he's finally at this spot where he's like, Christ sacrificed once for all. He is supreme. Every, he is superior over the old covenant and the old sacrifices. And these verses are, have a focused gaze on his superiority and the superiority of the sacrifice of Christ. The old covenant sacrifices were never going to be sufficient for achieving the perfection that Christ was able to offer. See, the old law and covenant, they weren't perfect, but they pointed to someone who was. Someone who is. And see, we see from the the get-go, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of Scripture, we see this arrow shot out into the future, pointing to Christ. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God says to Adam and Eve, or he says, I'm sorry, God uh, speaks to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Only three and a half chapters in and God's already pointing to something much better than they would have anticipated. Christ. See, God knew that Christ would be needed from the beginning because he would come to be the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. Guys, that's why, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we're here as a ministry. We're here to proclaim the gospel. And for those of you who are professing Christians, this should motivate you. This ramp up from chapters 1 through now should motivate you. Yes, we're talking about how Jesus is better Absolutely. It's almost on repeat. So it may sound like a broken record. Okay, we get it. We heard it in Sunday school. We heard it in Awanas. Jesus is better. We, 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 we know that. But my question to you and something I'd, lo- I'd love for you to be thinking through as I, as I preach through these next 18 verses is are you living that out? Is what the author of Hebrews just said to his readers, is that motivating you? Does that fuel your faith? To walk out this building, go into your day tomorrow, and proclaim the gospel. This is why, in the midst of 
thinking, considering, contemplating Christ's ultimate sacrifice, we need to do the following. The first point for tonight is consider Christ's perfection. Consider Christ's perfection. In verse, in verse 1 he says, For since the law has been a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Law. What he means there by law is the totality of the old covenant. The entirety of that structure that God had given the people of Israel is no longer sufficient because of Christ. And in these opening verses, the central concern, what, what the author of Hebrews is talking about here, is the, it's a comparison. We've got Christ's sacrifice and old covenant sacrifices. A little bit more of that in just a second. But before I get into that, I want to backtrack for a second. I want you guys to move the old eyeballs back to chapter 9, verse 25, starting at verse 25. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25. And that says, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood and not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Christ didn't have to offer himself multiple times, just as the, the priests had to enter into the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. That should move you to be active in your faith. And verse 26 says, if this is the case, if he, if he had to do it multiple times, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. Can you guys, I mean, just think about that for a second. Think about that. We've got Palm Sunday, we've got Good Friday, we've got Easter coming up. Can you imagine Christ having to do that multiple times? Every year he gets crucified on the cross for our sins. It's not the case, though. See, he offered once to bear sins of many. And he's going to come back. He's coming back a second time. Not to bear our sin, but to bring salvation for those who are eagerly awaiting him. Professing Christians, are you eagerly awaiting the return of Christ? I'm not trying to say, go into threat level midnight here. But I'm saying that there is a sense of urgency here for us Christians. If this is what we truly believe, then this is the way we ought to be living Our day-to-day, -day, how we interact, how we're having breakfast, who we hang out with, where are we going, where, where, wherever, loca whatever location we go to, are we acting like Christians? Are we living that out? Because the words of the author of Hebrews should motivate us 
should urge us, should push us. That is the drive, our, our driving catalyst in our faith as Christians is Jesus Christ's ultimate sacrifice. His offering is so superior and needs only to happen one time. There's no repetition required. And guys, that is a phenomenal promise. That is an excellent promise. Something that we can hang all we have on. Because Christ doesn't have to do it multiple times like he references the priests here. But he does it one time. This brings us to the sense. First sense, the law. So 10.1, usually that introduction clause there is, is or conjunction preposition is pointing back. The author is pointing back to what he just said. Hey, remember what I just said in verses 25 through 28? This is what I mean by it now. See, he's drawing. He starts, he starts with, with an interesting choice of words, and he calls the whole law, the covenant, made with Moses, only a shadow of things to come. It's foreshadowing what is to come. So he's drawing, again, he's drawing a difference between Christ's sacrifices and the old covenant sacrifices. But again, as we all know, Christ is better, Christ is supreme, and he's the best thing to come. See, Paul tells the Colossians this too. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In that particular chapter, he's talking about festivals, sacred days, things that they would celebrate, the old law, the old covenant. See, those sacred days are always a foreshadow of God's promises to intervene in human affairs through Christ. This is what Hebrews is talking about as well. The old structure, the old covenant, is a foreshadow of what is to come. It's a, it's, it's, it's not going to be the best thing to come. And that's something that Israel saw take shape and form. See, there are reminders repeated throughout Christ, the, the, sorry, Scripture that point to Christ. How they sacrificed was a point to Christ. I need several reminders throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. It's just, it's who I am, my personality, it's just how I work. I need several reminders. So what I do is I'll ask Siri, I'll plan out my week, I ask Siri to remind me to do various tasks throughout the week. Then I double up. There's this app called Todoist, which is a checklist. I enter in Todoist what I have to do for that week, and then I set reminders for myself on Todoist. There's a third layer. After I've done it on Todoist, on that particular day, say for today, I'll have set however many alarms to remind me to do those things. I have to do this because it's the way that's going to push me to do what it is that I need to do for that particular week, for that particular day. See, in the same way, that's what Scripture is doing. Scripture has fail-safes within it that are pointing to who? To Christ consistently. See, they're reminding through repetition of old covenant sacrifices that those old covenant sacrifices are insufficient. They're obsolete. They no longer matter. See, another 
Uh, the author is reminding us also here in these, in these verses of, of this insufficiency, using Christ, the new and the better way, as a backdrop to that. He goes, yeah, yeah, it, Israel, you would do these, these old covenant sacrifices, and he's reminding them, right? The, these, these Hebrew Christians are being, are being persecuted, persecuted by Emperor Nero. So they were scared. They were anxious. They didn't know what was going to happen. And so we have the author of Hebrews admonishing them, exhorting them to be like, Christ is better. No matter what happens to us, Christ is better. And he points to the old covenant sacrifices to build his argument on to say, that wouldn't have gotten us through this, but Christ will, because he's better. He's a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. I want to take a, 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 just have a, a quick sidebar here with you guys. Because I don't, want to speak out, I don't want to speak more into what the context of this is saying, but I do want, you to, I want to remind you guys again of, of who you proclaim to believe in, who you proclaim to live for, who you proclaim to serve, and who you proclaim to have professed faith in. Because I can tell you right now, professing Christians, that there's nothing when you go away after college, when you go off to do whatever you do after Wednesdays, when you go off to do whatever you do the rest of this week, you know that there's nothing on this earth you won't find anything in anyone else that's going to be more satisfying than Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are not professing, I'm not going to leave you out either. I can tell you right now that whatever you find your joy in right now, whatever you find your satisfaction in right now, it's not going to cut it. It's going to be temporary. You'll find temporary joy, temporary contentment, it's not going to be long-lasting. It won't be a permanent satisfaction that we find in Christ. We, we, we find in Christ. So when we think about Christ's perfection, we think of what that means and how that should motivate us in our faith. Christ is the, the best, was the best sacrifice for us in order to rid us of our sins and to make us righteous. The righteous, if you profess faith now, the righteousness that you have is not your own, it's Christ's because of what he did on the cross. So here are a few things to think about that, right? When we consider Christ's perfection, we can consider his perfection by seeing that the, the law points to greater things. Seeing that the law points to greater things. See, under the Old Covenant, Israel saw shape of what was to come. And those strong Jewish fathers that we read about in the Old Testament, they, they knew what God was pointing them towards, what he was having them fixate on. See, and this was a shadow left this shadow that the author of Hebrews is talking about, but a shadow of the good things to come, left them crying out for the real thing. See, a shadow, as a shadow, the old covenant was insufficient. And if you haven't realized already, I'm going to say that a lot, just so that you guys understand. I'm driving the point home. The old covenant was insufficient. And see, the author, the author speaks, he asks a very profound question here in verse 2. I want you to look at verse 2 here real quick. 
He says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience, consciousness of sins? What a great question to ask. See, if sacrifices had been effective, right? Levitical, we have Levitical law. We, saw, we, we, see, we read through the Old Testament and we see various people make sacrifices for God as a devotion, as we, we, are, we are confessing our sins to the Lord, let's sacrifice here. It's usually the altar of something because it's, it's near a landmark. Yeah? You guys tracking? You guys know what I'm saying? Yeah. See, but if those very, very, those, those same sacrifices had been effective for lasting purification, they wouldn't have needed it year by year. They wouldn't have needed sin offerings, burnt offerings, guilt offerings, right? Because the priests who had entered the holy sanctuary would have just needed to do it at once, one time. It would have been lasting. But that's not the case. That's not what the author of Hebrews is arguing. He's arguing that Christ is better than that. He supersedes that. And he wanted the readers to understand that Israel's sacrificial system was inadequate and that people would continue sinning. They would continue doing it. See, and this meant a new and required sacrifice to make, it required a new sacrifice to make things right. That was in Christ. See, only Christ can bring atonement for sin and secure eternal redemption. Nothing else, no one else. The second thing is understanding old sacrifices aren't enough. Old sacrifices aren't enough. See, priests had to go in on the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was, if you don't know what that is, it was the graphic event as a reminder to people who couldn't obey the commands and desperately needed the priests to make sacrifices and offer them to God for forgiveness of sins. And this was to cleanse the sin, as I just said, but here's something that it couldn't be done. It couldn't cleanse the consciences of the people for the sins they, had, they, they, they would commit after the sacrifice. See, that's the thing. It's, they would go and offer uh, a burnt offering, a guilt offering. They would sacrifice so that their sins would be forgiven. But then where does that leave them after committing a sin again after the sacrifice? So again, that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get at. He said, Christ is the ultimate sacrifice because of this. Look at Israel's sacrificial system. It was inadequate. It's insufficient. See, there wasn't anything that the law could do to alleviate the guilt of a human conscience. Again, the law was meant to say, hey, you're sinning. Hey, you're doing this. You're messing up again. You're sinning. It was never meant to say, you're sinning and I can forgive you of your sins. See, it's impossible to remove sin by blood of animals. So these offerings were to be reminders to people of their sins and the need for a new and different sacrifice. And that's the, that's the essential point right there. It's impossible for blood of animals to wash away sins. The old covenant sacrifices, in all of their bloodiness and the graphic reminder of what this was, couldn't take away sins forever. And you know, 
again, to, to not speak into what the context is saying here to Old Covenant sacrifices and, and Christ's ultimate sacrifice, but Christ's ultimate sacrifice is, is what we truly, desperately need as a people, as present-day Christians. As people living in today's society and culture, there's so many things, guys, that are, are pulling and tugging and challenging you and, and asking you to, to, forcing you to think a certain way, but our allegiance is in Christ if you profess faith in Christ. That's first and foremost. That's who we serve. That's who we love. That's who we give our life to. One sacrifice that can bring about full forgiveness of sin is done by Christ. See, we can thank God for his word, which reminds us of all the weight of our sin. Right? The Old Testament, like I previously said, it's going to show us, hey, you're doing this, you're messing up here, you're missing the target. But we don't need sacrifices and offerings. See, those sacrifices and offerings are, are but a foreshadow of Christ and what he did and who he is and what he is to us now. See, let's have in mind, let's have in mind what Christ came to do in this world and the necessity of his death. And let's, let's remember that, that Christ came intentionally. He came with a purpose. Point number two is remember that Christ came with purpose. Christ came with purpose. Let's look back at the, at the at verses, uh, at, let's look back at the text, verses 5 through 10. And that says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the blood, body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, the author is drawing out, the author of Hebrews is drawing out distinctions between old covenant sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice. Uh, before we go any further into that, I want you guys to look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It's not that far. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And that says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sacrifices couldn't achieve forgiveness of any one sin, is what he's trying to say there. But what we see is they pointed to the forgiveness of all sin. It pointed to the Christ. And I think in order to see what, what effect those old covenant sacrifices had, we need to look at a different spot here, something that Paul wrote to the Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. Go ahead and jot that down. You don't need to flip there. I'm going to go ahead and read that. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation of His blood to be received by faith. This to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness as the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Sacrifices were only temporary and held back God's wrath for a time. But Christ's death makes forgiveness permanent. It makes things permanent for us, guys. And I want to remind you again of the gospel we proclaim. If you're a professing Christian, you, you guys know this like the back of your hand. God, a creator, holy, just, gave, sent down his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins and to provide, to provide himself, provide his body as an offering, a single offering that would allow us to, to obtain that salvation that is promised to us, that, uh, to obtain that righteousness that we can only get from Christ. So you guys, we're... we're sinful and separated and deserve God's wrath. Old Testament talks about that, and it's very clear on how deserving we are of that. But because God is loving, he sent his son to die on the cross for us as a substitute, to be the forgiveness of all sin and to be a permanent solution to the sin of this world. See, that was his purpose. That is his purpose. Those are his intentions. And we can remember Christ's purpose for coming to this earth to die on the cross, 100% man, 100% God, by seeing what he came to accomplish. Remember Christ's purpose by seeing what he came to accomplish. In verses 5 through 10 of chapter, of, chapter 10 of Hebrews, the author quotes Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 to support his claims. He's building this argument, and he uses the Old Testament to build this argument. So when Christ entered this world, he knew his body would be a sacrifice that would please God and satisfy his wrath. And sacrifices and offerings of the Old Covenant anticipated final, his, the final and sufficient sacrifice of Christ's own body. And the thing is, is if in Psalm 40, 6 through 8, we see that the psalmist is also looking ahead. He understood, hey, I know what's coming. Better things are coming than what we have here. That's the coming of the Son to do the will of the Father. Guys, that's some exciting stuff. That, that, that should motivate you. That should excite you. That should push you to live a life for Christ. See, Christ has come to achieve what the old covenant sacrifices could never have achieved, perfecting new covenant worshipers. And see, we don't just see that in Psalm 40, 6-8, but we see that, as I read earlier, Genesis 3.15. See, it's a point to Christ into what would be, as the Greek says, kreton, supreme, what is better, what is best. And in Genesis 3.15, it's God telling that Satan's, 
saying Satan would cripple mankind, but Christ, the seed, would deliver the fatal blow. The true victory will come through Christ. True victory will come through Christ. That's an exciting thing to think about. Whether that's you're feeling anxious, depressed, things aren't going the way you want them to, you're struggling with something at home, something's bringing you down, whatever that is, guys, true victory will come through Christ. I mean, anything. Even when McDonald's wins revival. We also have the understanding, we can, we can remember Christ's purpose into why he came by understanding the necessity of his death. It needed to happen. It had to happen. See, we've talked about this already, but all sacrifices are made obsolete. Christ, he's like, he's like fiend, right? Have you ever seen a Spanish movie, old Spanish movie? Fiend, period, done, obsolete. It's oves, right? You guys still say that. It's oves. Some of you over here. See, what's he, what, what he's saying here is, is this. Through sanctification, through the setting apart of, which accomplished, is accomplished through the death of Christ, we are perfected for guilt-free service to God. Understanding the necessity of his death. You guys don't have to flip here. You can write it down. Exodus chapter 12. In fact, uh, when you guys break off to small groups, I'm going to have you guys read this. Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 32. You guys are familiar with this. It's, it's the Passover into the 10th plague. You must be thinking, okay, Elvis, that's weird. Why are you giving us that? I want you guys to think for a moment of that particular story, right? God gives them Passover. He says, this is what you have to do. And within that, he tells them, I also want you to sacrifice, I want you to sacrifice this lamb and I want you to take its blood and brush it on the doorpost. Because what's about to happen is I'm going I'm to send my wrath upon the Egyptians. And so the Israelites, what they did is they acted out in faith and obedience, and they did exactly what they were told. God's wrath was, they were, they were spared from God's wrath. Permanently? No, if you guys go on to read Exodus, you find out that that was not permanently because Israelites' firstborns go on to eventually die because of their sins. But my point is, each sacrifice, each point to Christ is crucial, is vital to remind us who it is that saved us from our sins, who it is that we can cling to and anchor to no matter what season of life we're going through whether we're having the best time of our lives because everything is going, is going honky-dory. I don't know why I said that. Nobody says that anymore. Honky-dory. Come on, Elvis. Honky-dory. Whether everything's going phenomenally well or whether things are, are you're, you're, you're on a, a raft, right? Not physically, but you're on a raft going through a storm, we can anchor our lives to Christ. Why? Because he's the ultimate and the best and the most perfect sacrifice. 
God did this similar thing on the Day of Atonement, going back to sacrifices. And he held his wrath for another year each time they, did, they, they, they had the Day of Atonement. But see, in sending Christ, this wouldn't need to be, it didn't have to be the case. He wouldn't have to spare people's wrath another year because they did the Day of Atonement. See, God, God merely suspended his wrath with old covenant sacrifices, but Christ came to make things permanent. And when we confess our sins and profess faith in Christ, we are completely and utterly forgiven. And guys, that is a weight off of our shoulders. That is for me anyway. That is a weight off of our shoulders. To fully trust and have confidence in Christ to remove that from us. This is why he came. This should motivate you. It should move your faith to be action-oriented. Because I'll tell you this, just hearing the word, hearing about Christ, that's just the start. When that genuine faith and response happens, guys, that's, that's the, the motivating factor, is understanding this and living by this. Not my notes, the Bible. Living by the Bible and what Christ says and what is promised and what what we're promised um, to to receive and obtain from Christ. The third thing in remembering Christ's purpose is this, is comprehending that he did it once for all. He did it one time. Una vez. Una vez. No otra vez. No muchas veces, una vez. Just one time. Not many times. For those of you who don't speak Espanolis. <laughs> See, Christ's death on the cross, guys, was a one-time thing. And it, 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 the author of Hebrew reiterates the unique, the comprehensive, and the lasting nature of Jesus' sacrifice. You don't need to turn there. Go ahead and write this down, though. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 37. I'm sorry, 27. There's no 37. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Guys, those are some life-altering, life-changing, life-transforming verses right there. Because nowhere on this earth are you going to find anybody or any animal that's capable of doing that for us. The most, I would argue to say that this is the most important phrase in Hebrews, verse 10. Once for all. He did it one time. It wasn't multiple times. And we could be grateful to God that that's the case. The case that it's, it's, it's not something that we have to do over and over and over and over again. See, there's no sacrifice that's ever needed to be, there's no sacrifice ever needs to be made again. No offering ever needs to be made again because God, God is pleased with Christ's sacrifice. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. See, the old covenant sacrifices had been sufficient, priests would have stopped offering them. Would have stopped offering them. 
but Israel's sacrifices couldn't keep up with people's sinfulness. So it was repeated. I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, all daughters. And some of you may have known that, but if you didn't, a little tidbit for you. Um, we have these, these rain, they're not, they're, they're very well-behaved girls. Sometimes they're a little crazy. They're just running around, doing their thing. And the oldest one is known for saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to evade the consequences. So she thinks that if I say, if I say sorry enough times, or if I say sorry at the right time, I'm not going to get busted for it because I said sorry. It's okay. So that turns into a teaching moment. I have to sit down with her and say, you have to genuinely mean that you're sorry. Not just say sorry and sorry and sorry and sorry and not mean it and do it again. That's an important lesson for a six-year-old because her first thought is, I don't want to get busted. I don't want to get in trouble. Instead of dealing, dealing with it and understanding that, no, I hurt my sister. No, I took this from my sister when I shouldn't have. I'm not going to do it again. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. That's hard for a six-year-old. But you guys get the point, right? Equating that to what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. The, 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 the priests and the old covenant sacrifices could have kept going on and on and on and on, over and over, generation by generation, and that's exactly what happened. But Christ is better than that. Christ rules supreme over that. That is no longer needed. Let's not forget that Jesus is better. Simply talking about, talking about that he is better here isn't, isn't ever enough. It's never enough. We have to remind ourselves. We have to remind our families. We have to remind our small groups, remind our friends, and live out your faith like you know for sure that he's supreme. That he is worth it because he is. And with that in mind, we have to make sure that we're constantly acknowledging his supremacy. We have to constantly be acknowledging that he is better. Point number three is consistently acknowledge Christ's supremacy. Consistently acknowledge Christ's supremacy. Let that be just a repeat in your head. Day in, day out. That's who we live for. Let's look back at the text, verses 11 through 18, as we wrap this up here. Verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. If you were going to be like, Elvis, what's the point of this? Verse 18. Verse 18, where there is 
forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. If you, take away, if you go home, uh, home thinking or, or trying to understand one particular thing from these first 18 verses of chapter 10, it's that. Verse 18. In verse 11, he's not, he's not holding back. He's already ramped up, right? He's already, he's, he's up there. He's, he's excited about Christ. He's living for Christ. He's trusting fully and, and confident in Christ. And he points to, to inadequacy of priests and their standing. And what this is referring to them, referring to is that it, them having to clean, sen, clean sen, sins repeatedly. So that there's no time to sit down. There's so many people within Israel who are coming to them, having just sinned, and then having to, to repeat those same sacrifices day in, day out. On the day, day of atonement, same sacrifice. Can you imagine? Like, just, you could already tell, you know, when Johnny Boy was coming up to, uh, you know, give up a sacrifice and be like, he's like, you're like, uh, you'd come in again, Johnny Boy, for the same thing? It's like, yeah, you know, it's the same thing. It's on repeat. He's doing it over and over again. So that's what he's talking about here is, is they, they're, they're, they're standing. He says, every priest stands daily at a service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They were, they were doing these sacrifices that was not going to take away sins. Now, that's not to say that they weren't doing what God had told them to do in that, in that time culturally. Right? They, were, they were obeying God in that time. In old, the old covenant, during the old covenant, and those sacrifices, they were doing what God had told them to do. So I don't, wanna, I don't want you guys to think that that's not what they were doing. Further, see, they stood every day because their work was never complete. And this is, I want you guys to pay cl- close attention here, okay? If you haven't already caught on to this. They stood every day because their work was never complete, nor did it progress. Do you hear the implications there? They had to stand because they had the same repeat people, repeat sins, repeat sacrifices coming through. Burnt offerings, guilt offerings, the Day of Atonement. But they could never fully sit down and say, that's complete. They're progressing. Because that old covenant sacrifice is obsolete. It's insufficient. He even says here, which can never take away sins. See, the burnt offering was offered every day. Exodus 29 says, sacrifices of old covenant, not able, it's not, they're not able to remove sins. But Christ isn't powerless to remove sins. Christ is our best hope. Christ, Christ is perfect. Christ is supreme. Have you guys ever had just, just a wicked stain that just won't come out? Yeah? I'm sure some of you aren't like, like, I don't want to say anything. My parents might be watching. That stain's probably still there, right? You did a, you had a stain. We have, again, I have a six, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and um, they got nail polish for Christmas. <laughs> Joke's on us, right? Man. And they got some nail polish on a chair. Saw it happening 10 miles away. Um, Nail polish on the chair. I tried everything. Everything to take it off. Everything. Still there. Slightly there. You can kind of see it. But now the chair's, you know, the chair's got a stain on it. But I had to go at it repeatedly over and over and over and over again 
I went back. I might go back later tonight, right, just to take a, a brain break and be like, hey, I'm going to tackle this, this stain because that's what life is in, at, at, at 34. I'm living it up, getting rid of these stains. Um, but I'm being a good husband, right, guys? Husbands out there? Being a good husband. Thanks, guys. But that paints such a, a, a great picture as to what we're talking about here and what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. It's you have a people, Israel, who are doing these old covenant sacrifices, have this old structure, and the author of Hebrews is, who's arguing that that no longer matters anymore. And just like that stain that cannot come off, I can try over and over and over and over again, and it will not, right, whatever chemical I use on it will not, it will not get rid of it. Same goes with anything else that we put our faith in, anything else that we try to rid our sins on, and that's what, that's what Israel is doing. They were approaching these priests and trying to remove sins that were not going to be able to be removed. Why? Because it wasn't piercing through the very soul of who they were. And if you're professing Christians, you've experienced that. Some of you were up here and you got baptized. Everybody got to hear your allegiance to Christ, how Christ came into your life. You heard the gospel multiple times. You grew up in a Christian home and you heard the gospel. Your parents probably uh, preached the gospel to you. Maybe now you're, you, you come on Wednesday nights and you hear, you hear, you're, you're, you're sitting through these, this series on Hebrews and how, how about Jesus is better and everything. I can tell you now, guys, that Christ is the only way that will, he's the only sacrifice that is going to remove the sins in our life, that's going to remove that stain from our life. There's no checking things out over there or over there or over there. Hey, what can I get into over here? What about these group of people over here? I bet they can make me happy. I bet this thing, make, this, this thing my job, my school will make me happy because that's exactly what I want to go do. No. Christ has is, is got the ability, he's got the power to remove the sins from our life. It continues, yeah, but, with, but when Christ, in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Right, you see that there? Verse 11, he's talking about priests who are stand, standing the whole time. And now, now you have Christ who's offered a single sacrifice, one offering, and now he's sitting at, at the right hand of God. There's that power, there's that authority, there's the deity there of who Christ is. He's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Christ carries authority. See, they stood daily offering same sacrifices while this isn't the case for Christ. See, we acknowledge Christ's supremacy because there's no need for repetition on his part. See, not, it's not like the, the priests performing old covenant sacrifices See, whose ministry, their ministry was to, to, it was to, was repetition over and over, generation by generation. It could not save a single sinner. Could not happen. See, we can trust that Christ's work provides a permanent forgiveness. 
and his power, guys, his power, in his power, he's made everyone whole. See, Christ's single offering is effective, right? And the author of Hebrews is, is reiterating that, that Christ's single offering is effective. By priestly offering of his own body, Christ has perfected, guys, he's perfected. He's perfected. Not simply just fixed. Not simply just improved. He has perfected. I was talking with somebody about this very sermon, and we were both, we were going back and forth. We were talking about small group questions. We were talking about things, verses that were in here, and we were both just getting pumped just talking about this. This stuff excites me. Why? Because, because Christ, the ruler of my life, died on the cross for my sins. Now I can leave, live as a free person who, who acts out in faith and obedience to God and live a, a, a joy-filled life, a content-filled life, no matter whatever the circumstances, no matter what season of life I'm going through. I know that Christ is enough Christ is sufficient. So guys, I stand up here and I, I tell you that Christ is, you only hearing about Christ in these, in these series and walking out the door and doing nothing about that, that's not enough. If you're a professing Christian, you are going to be, this is going to seep out of you. You're going to be saturated in who Christ is and what Christ did for you. See, Jesus Christ's final and supreme sacrifice brings Full forgiveness of sins. An offering for sin is no longer required. See, he's wholly sufficient for the forgiveness of sins, and the need for another offering no longer remains. Right? Even to extrapolate from that, there's nothing else out in this world, out there, that is better than Christ for you guys. He's completely sufficient, permanent. He's a once-for-all sacrifice forgiving completely the sins of those on behalf the sacrifice was offered. And I stand up here to remind you that Jesus is better because of what he did on the cross for us. So let's consistently acknowledge that and remind ourselves all, our, all the days of our lives. Let's pray.